Welcome to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Atlanta. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. Hi! Hi, Amanda. How are you? I'm doing well. Welcome to the pie episode. <gasps> Pies. Hungry. I'm pretty excited. But first, how are you? What's going on? What are you baking? I'm well. I'm good. This week has been so busy getting back into work and teaching. But I've had time to bake. And I did something this week that I'm really excited about. It's um, not Portuguese. Shock. <laughs> <laughs> One of my dear old friends um, is having his birthday, and he is from the Philippines and introduced me to all these great Filipino flavors over the years. And one of those desserts is called Hollow Hollow, and that has all kinds of cool ingredients in it. But one of them is ube, and that's a purple yam, and it's made into a paste or a jam, and it's used in things. So I decided to do an ube cake. So I have alternating layers of ubi cake, vanilla cake, and then the whole thing is getting iced in Swiss meringue buttercream. And then hopefully I'm going to decorate it with some shards of meringue and coconut. So I'm excited to see how that turns out today. It'll be finished today. That's going to be so fun to slice because that ube, I mean, I've never heard it pronounced before now. I always thought it was oob. And so I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to learn Upe. So, um, yeah, but I bet that's going to be really striking when it's cut because the color I know is super vivid, right? Yeah, it's so beautifully purple. And I agree. I think it's going to be a fun slice. I think about you and some of the cakes you've done that have been alternating like um, vanilla and chocolate. And that really inspired me to, to go for that alternating color slice. Um, yeah, but the, the product is really interesting. It's very much like, a sweet potato or a yam. Um, and I bought it at an Asian grocery store and it was just grated and frozen. So I had to look up some recipes on how to turn it into a jam, which was fun. Very easy. I just added condensed milk, some sugar, a little bit of coconut milk and cooked it until it got thick. Um, but as far as putting it into the cake, I just put it in there like I would a, a sweet potato or, or a pumpkin. Interesting. Did you have to, so it was shredded and then did you have to puree it all or did it cook and become soft enough? Yeah, I, just to get it all to come together, because it was kind of powdery. I mean, it, the product said grated, but it wasn't grated into, let's say, like hash browns, you know, like that kind of potato. Okay. It was already pretty powdery, but I did put it in the food processors just to bring it together with the, like the condensed milk and some of those other ingredients. So it was easier to, to stir in the pan. Okay. That makes sense. Well, I'm excited about this cake. I can't wait to see it pop up on Instagram. I'm sure with shards too. We didn't even talk about your shards, meringue shards. Yeah. I saw this fun technique and I hope you try it too. Some days you take a silpat and you spread a thin layer of, of uh, I think Swiss meringue is probably the best choice for this or Italian meringue. It's a bit uh, stronger than French meringue would be. And then you spread a thin layer with like your offset spatula and then you can sprinkle coconut or maybe cocoa nibs or whatever you like. Probably even, I don't know, maybe some nuts as well. Although they could over toast. You'd have to see. Um, Freeze dried 
like freeze-dried fruit, like raspberries. Yeah. Okay, I'm taking notes now. And then, <laughs> then you bake it until it's totally dry. Once it's cooled, you can just break it up off of the sill pad into shards. And I'm going to try just shoving them into the cake in hopefully an artistic way. I love that. And sounds like pretty approachable to very easy, not too overly technical or tedious. Exactly. I love garnishes that are made out of other pastry items that aren't too difficult to make. And they just give that flair without being too stressful. True. Yeah. And I love that it's totally edible and delicious too. It's not a visual element that doesn't really help, but it adds texture. And like you were talking about all the sprinkle things that you could do. I mean, it adds flavor. So a fun element. So definitely putting that in my bag. Oh, tricks. (laughs) What have you been making this week and how are you? I'm doing really well, so um, no surprise, I've been making some cakes, and I had a great experience this morning. I think um, I was thinking a lot about baking while I was putting together a cake, and I was thinking about how it's very similar, I feel like, to a long-term relationship for me. It's not you know, something that I'm really into for a weekend or for a month. I really am in this kind of for the long haul. It's a passion and I really don't see it going away. But with any long relationship, there's ebbs and flows. And sometimes when I'm baking, I never hate it. Like I would never say that it's horrible. Sometimes I find myself feeling like I'm just kind of going through the motions and it's not really negative. It's just a rhythm that I find myself in. And then other times like today, It's pure pleasure. I was so present with what I was doing and I was enjoying it in a very, um, like a a very, uh, the word I'm looking for is not coming to my mind, but a very like um, all of my senses were activated kind of way. I was really, really there. I was enjoying the way that it looked as, as the frosting and the ganache were going onto the cake. And maybe it's because I was working with grapefruit frosting and chocolate ganache. I mean, luxurious really luxurious i'm imagining that flavor combo and it sounds so fun it's so beautiful the colors are really nice together because one is so bold and intense and then the grapefruit is so delicate and they're both very aromatic like the chocolate ganache you could smell quite a bit and then the zest of the grapefruit anyway it was a transformative experience i felt like Like it felt like a good chemical change for my brain, if that makes sense. And as far as that long-term relationship, it was one of those moments that you have even with a person where you're like, this is why I love you. And you feel as in love as you ever have. So really special. You touched on so many special things and things that are really dear to my heart. And one thing being a musician and dabbling in other arts over the years, I have completely experienced what you've talked about and that transformative, cathartic, relating moment where you and your art kind of make this connection. And there's just nothing like it. Um, Music for me is like, I've always thought of it. It can be like drugs, you know, that high that you can get. Um, Don't take drugs, people. Don't take drugs. (laughs) Do art. Make art instead of drugs. (laughs) And also the long-term relationship, I think, is that whole idea, applying that to whatever you're doing, is so beneficial because when you're feeling not so good about something, that's normal. It's a normal part of the journey and know that it's temporary, that eventually you're going to 
be icing that cake that will change your day and make you smile. True. Yeah. I mean, definitely when I was a little younger, if I had those off days or just kind of melancholy, I would try to make a dramatic change. Like, you know, maybe used to, I would just go, Oh, I'm just so done with baking. And I feel like you miss out on those rejuvenating moments that come. Right. So I'm happy to have something that I stick with and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm totally with you on the relationship thing, like how it just, um, I don't know. It's, it's very, very similar and something you don't want to miss out on. Um, but all of that, you and I are like cake palooza here and it's pie week. So that's right. <laughs> all about pie. Yeah. So sorry, pie. We love you too. Um, <laughs> let's move on to pies. And I wanted to ask you straight away, uh, kind of like a lightning question. Just what's the first thing that pops to your mind? What is your favorite pie? Ooh, I Gosh, that's a good one. I would have to say because my mom is a pie baker and my dad loves pies. So we've had them all the time growing up. And I love my mom's apple and blackberry pie. It's a great, great combination. That sounds really good. Sometimes she'll do apple and raspberry. But I have to say that's the first thing that came to mind. I'm sure I could come up with five other favorites, but yeah. What about you? Uh, so trying to be impulsive, I knew I was going to ask you that question, but <laughs> <laughs> I would say hands down my most favorite pie and it's a specific pie. It's not even like a kind of pie, but specifically right after I had moved to DC, I didn't really know where to go. And I asked one of my friends who used to live there, I was feeling kind of lonely and I'm like, where should I go? Just like, where's somewhere to go other than all the tourist places that you read about? And she said, go to Kramer books. And it's this bookshop that also has a full restaurant and bar in it, which is a really cool combo, I think. So I went to, it's right off DuPont circle to Kramer books. And I ordered the apple pie and it's this thick apple pie super heavy on the cinnamon, which I love cinnamon and it's got a mound. You love cinnamon too, right? Yeah. It's amazing. It's one of the best spices in my mind. Absolutely. It's mounded with crumb topping, like thick, crunchy crumbs. And then they put a scoop of cinnamon ice cream on top. And that's the best slice of pie I've ever had. It's amazing. My heart is doing all kinds of weird things right now. (laughs) (laughs) A little pie romance. Yeah, it's so good. If you're ever in D.C., like you must make your way there and have a slice. And the crust, I didn't even talk about the crust. And I feel like that's probably as a baker, the scariest part for a lot of people it it's not tough. It's not chewy. It's just flaky. Your fork goes through and it just, it comes right to your mouth. I mean, so good. Um, so yeah, there's my romance of the pie. So good. And it's such a huge topic. Of course we can think about American pies, but then there's a whole family of things that you could also consider to be pies like tarts and tartlets. Galettes. Galettes. Crustatas, all these fun <laughs> words. 
Yeah. And then savory pies totally get forgotten in America, especially I feel like, I mean, we think pie and then our mind goes apple pie, peach pie, cherry pie. And there's steak pie that is amazing, but we don't really do that very often. Yeah. We had a lot of pies when we were in England, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was a new thing for me. I would say the only savory pie I had had before that trip was like chicken pot pie and mostly the frozen version. So, (laughs) um, so to have like a steak and Guinness pie was super special. And I mean, when you have an association of pie and you think pie is sweet, I was a little adverse to it. I mean, I'm a very open-minded eater, but in my mind, I'm just going, this might be weird, but I'll try it. And it's not weird. It's just only delicious. (laughs) It's so good. So comforting. I want to know, so you said your mom makes pies. So did you grow up making pies? Like, was that a very natural baking project for you or was it, what, what's your experience with pie? So I remember not necessarily helping her make the elements of the pie, but I do remember the most is whenever she had scraps, she would invite me over and we would get really creative with the scraps. And I loved that. So we would kind of put them together, kind of re-roll them. And most of the time we would sprinkle um, more sugar, some cinnamon, and then we'd roll them up into like cinnamon roll kind of shapes and then put them in the oven Um, I'm sure we tucked fruit in there if we had extra fruit, but it was kind of a fun time to play around with the extra pie dough. And I have to admit too, is we love to eat raw pie dough. I don't know. There's something about it. That's just so (laughs) delicious. (laughs) I love it too. No judgment here. (laughs) (laughs) So I have that memory um, being very vivid. And then when I started baking, that's when I kind of really started playing around with with pastry recipes and ask my mom, well, what have, what have you been doing all these years? And her sister Adele also loves to bake pies and she'll bring pies often to family events. So I'll, I've, I've grilled them on their pie making secrets. What about you? Um, well, first I have to say, I love that scrap idea and I have to do that with my kids because I'm just imagining them. They would so love that. And a fun, like a fun way to be creative with food and kind of draw them into my interest. Um, my experience with pie is very different. So we did not really make a lot of pies at our house. Um, we like to eat pies, but we mostly would buy them or, and definitely like the pie crust we would buy pre-made and frozen. So in my mind, pie was something that maybe only like a master baker could make. It was very interesting. Yeah. It was like super intimidating to me. Um, so when I started wanting to make pie, I started with things like galettes and crostatas that didn't require, I don't know, it just felt less intimidating. It was a single crust. It was free form. I felt very comfortable to kind of just practice the process of making the dough, rolling it out and then plunking everything in the middle and folding it up over. Um, that was really approachable to me. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I started just with easier and also, And still, I'm very um, stressed a little bit when I make pie because I feel like anything that has multiple components that need to be cooked to a certain degree, it's challenging. So every time I make a pie, I go through this long debate about do I cook the filling first and then par-bake the crust, put the filling in at the last bit, you know, like 
to get that timing just right is, is a challenge. Absolutely. So with that, trying to get all the components just right, that's exactly what I tend to do. I like to par bake a crust and get it almost finished. And then because I'm not a huge double crust pie person, typically if I'm doing a fruit pie, I'll cook the filling so that I know it's going to be really good. I'll just get it almost there, put it into the crust, and then I'll top it with crumbs and cover the edge of my pre-baked pie crust with some foil so that it doesn't overbake. And then I just ultimately, when the pie goes in the oven, all I'm really trying to do is get the crumbs to cook. So... I don't have to worry, is the crust not going to be done or is the crust going to be overdone before the filling's done? That kind of thing. That's a great tip because I feel like most beginner pie bakers start with pies that are not blind baked and have a fruit filling that is not pre-cooked or manipulated some way first. And therefore they get the soggy bottoms <laughs> and they get these you know, very soupy pies that can be disappointing while still delicious disappointing. So I think starting somewhere where, like where you talked about blind baking, cooking your pre-cooking your filling, you're going to set yourself up for success at the beginning, which is really encouraging. Yeah. I feel like my early pies, the biggest thing I had as a downfall was the crust would not be finished. And you, and you're looking at that edge and you're going, wow, it's so beautifully browned. And it's really disappointing after putting all that work in to take it out, let it cool then for like four hours because it takes forever to cool a fruit pie. And then you slice it to find out the base is not cooked. Son of a, like (laughs) it it makes me mad. It makes me really mad. So that's why I started doing that. It kind of changes it. And then another pie we haven't talked about are like um, pies, like a lemon meringue pie or, you know, anything filled with a curd. I'm sure you have some good tips on that. Yeah, chiffon pies, cream pies. Oh, there's so many good ones. Um, But I was going to say, too, about the fruit pies really quickly is I learned a great technique from Rose Levy Berenbaum. I think that's how you say her last name. And that is if you're doing a raw fruit pie, combine the sugar and the fruit. You can even put the spices or whatever. And then you let it, mm, what's the word, macerate? Yes. Okay. For quite a long time, the longer the better. And you put that the, that fruit in a strainer so that all the juices drip out of the, the fruit. So the sugar is drawing out a lot of that fruit's moisture. And now you can just discard that moisture, but what she has usually do is caramelize it. So you reduce the juices down and you can do that on the stovetop or even in the microwave within a, in a glass container. And then you pour that now concentrated fruit juices back over your fruit and you've taken out a lot of that um, moisture that could create a soggy, soggy pie. So I love that technique. It takes a little extra time, but it works like a charm. It's like insurance. I love that because then you know you're not putting you know too much liquid in there yeah. and that takes some of the stress out. That's a really good tip. And it makes me think of this question that we got on Twitter from Fraulein Steve. He said, my fruit pies run all over when cut. They don't hold their shape. Any advice? And I'm thinking, first off, what you just said could be a good tip. Managing Absolutely. the liquid. Absolutely. And then what do you think? Do you think maybe they're missing an ingredient to thicken the juices? Yeah, I would say for sure, 
any any of those types of pies that I've made, the fruit pies, it, the recipe tends to have cornstarch in there. And I would just say to make sure maybe, you know, he may need to check and see if the right amount of cornstarch is in there. And if it is in there, he may need to see also that the pie is getting warm enough because, you know, cornstarch has to be boiled for at least a minute or two for it to be, um, for it to kind of activate its thickening powers. So making sure that the cornstarch, if it's in there, gets hot enough. And then the other thing, I'm sure you're thinking this too, is cooling. You want to cut the pie, like you really want to cut the pie when it comes out, but you cannot cut the pie. You have to wait. (laughs) It is so true. So true. So that's my thought. And and you have to wait a lot longer than you think you're going to have to wait. Like if I'm going to have a pie at dinner time, I always try to have it um, finished baking in the morning because really it needs, sometimes it depends on the pie, but like six, six hours to yeah. really set up. So I hope, I hope that helps. <laughs> and you can always rewarm it. So if you're wanting that warm pie, let it cool completely, then put it back in the oven for a tiny bit. That's a good point. Yeah. Cause warm pie is delicious. Yeah. So, especially with cinnamon ice cream, especially with cinnamon ice cream. Uh, okay. So we do have one other question. It's also from Twitter. It's from T N Y F N 20. And she asked, do we have any pie traditions? Every Thanksgiving, she has pie night. And this past Thanksgiving, we have an ambitious baker here. She baked six pies. What? Yeah. (laughs) That's a lot of pie. And I want to come to your pie night. It sounds amazing. I'm imagining stacks and stacks of pounds of butter on her counter to start that day of baking. I thought you were going to say stacks and stacks of pies. I'm like, well, she probably doesn't stack them, but it sounds great. But yeah, tons of butter. (laughs) (laughs) Really funny. So do you have pie traditions? I mean, you already kind of told us. Yeah. And the other one my mom does every Thanksgiving is she makes pumpkin pies and she roasts her own pumpkins. She goes that extra step and she's created her own recipe. And it's kind of that... um, uh, baking by eye, like she doesn't really measure. She kind of knows how. It's very impressive. I can't even even go there. I just watch her and am amazed, and I enjoy it. But yep, she does a really, really from scratch beautiful pumpkin pies, and she'll experiment. I have a vegan cousin. She did a vegan version this year. It turned out great. Wow. She'll try different milks, coconut milk. She'll try um, different sugars. Uh, sometimes she'll leave the crust out and just do a beautiful pumpkin kind of baked custard. Um, and then besides that, it's just been the apple pies, like I said. Um, and sometimes she'll do a crumble as well. And lemon meringue. We've got to have lemon meringue. It's my grandma's favorite. So that, that shows up at least once a year in our family. That's a favorite of mine too. Well, I so admire your mom for being able to cook by eye and then also going that extra step and roasting the pumpkin. I bet they're amazing. It sounds really Very good. Very delicious. How about you? Uh, pie traditions, not a lot. Um, kind of in a close cousin relationship to pie. Maybe I can squeeze in there as cobbler. My mom makes the most amazing peach cobbler. So I would say that's probably the closest thing I have to a pie tradition is peach cobbler. We have it at all kinds of special occasions. That sounds delicious. I love peaches, especially the ones from Georgia and South Carolina. Yeah, it's kind of our thing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, very appropriate, I think, for my 
uh, Georgia native mom to make peach cobbler. So although I have to tell some of my family, I love your peaches too. Cause we have a lot of peaches out here as well. Okay. <laughs> you know, tr- truly because of the world we live in, probably a lot of the peaches we get at the grocery store and we're like, oh, I'm going to make a Georgia peach pie. Unless you're paying attention, there's probably a good chance they're from California <laughs> or some other place. So anyway, on that pie note, we have a very special pie. I've been calling her the pie master, pie master guest. Um, and I think we should get her on the line. What do you think? I can't wait. It's going to be another exciting adventure for Flower Hour. All right, let's do it. Welcome, Steph, to Flower Hour. We're so excited to have you. Thanks, guys. It's so good to chat with you. So you guys probably know from her voice. Hi, Steph. We're so excited to have you. But this is Stephanie Chen from our season of the Great American Baking Show. And so, of course, full disclosure, she's also a friend and we can't hardly handle our excitement to talk with you. Yeah, we're like breaking the um, the barriers of, you know, not being able to travel to each other and using tech in our favor. Yeah, gotta love that, right? <laughs> yeah, thanks guys for having me. I'm so excited and I've, I've been listening to your podcast. I'm so just so proud of you guys for doing this and thinks it thinks it's so much fun. Thank you so Thank much. You. Well, I know Amanda and I know all these details, but I want all of our listeners to know what happened when you left the tent last year. How's your life changed and what have you been up to? Wow. Well, um, how long do you guys have? <laughs> so oh, for you, so much time. Oh, um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess since I, since the show aired, um, so I've always been kind of uh, – struggling with, you know, do I go back to working in my corporate life? And that's the one that I had, you know, before I even got on the show, or do I just like fully double down on baking and really see where it can take me and, and it would just be a new chapter of my life. And so the past year, I've just really been focused on that. And trying to immerse myself in the food industry and especially in LA where I think it's a really tight knit group and there's a lot of really um, enthusiastic people, newcomers, but there's also established, um, you know, chefs and farmers and there's just so many different players in the game out here. And, um, and so I've just been really trying to understand it and learn it and meet as many people as I can to, to see where my path would take me. And so there's kind of just been a lot of experimenting. So I've, I've, I have started my own business on the side that includes catering and custom cakes and stuff. But then I've also tried some pop-ups. I've also worked part-time at a local bakery in Santa Monica to see if I like the kitchen. And so I'm a pastry cook on the pastry team there. Um, I've... I've just kind of been doing a little bit of everything. And then I'm also teaching classes at a local cooking school. I've been involved in some food conferences. So there's kind of a little bit of everything in my life right now. And you started a blog. Like I'm just, I have a list of things in my head of all the stuff you've done. Yeah. And I'm going, you are a Wonder Woman. Like there's so many interesting product projects that you have going and and all of them take a lot of time. So you've been going full force, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. There's also the blog that I feel like is getting kind of the 
the stepchild like treatment, um, unfortunately, <laughs> because oh, blogs and I'm sure Amanda, you, you know, and you can attest to just, they take up so much time and just to write and not only come up with the content, but then to ultimately like put it out there. It's just, it's, it's a lot of work. So I have a lot of respect for the bloggers out there, um, that do it full time, but yeah, there's, there's just a lot. <laughs> Thank you for, for following along with everything, but it's, um, it's been fun. And it's also just been, you know, hustling and trying to figure out like what is really right for me. And, and I think I'm, I'm very blessed and fortunate to have a really strong support system and an amazing husband who is also, everyone's very patient with me as I, you know, figure out what my path is. So I want to talk more about your pop-ups if we could and kind of get into the nitty gritty, like nerdy details of what is it physically like to make. So your pop-ups, well, for people who don't know, they are pies and pavlovas. So two very different products, but specifically with pies, um, you don't just make those in 30 minutes and plop them on the counter. Like I would like to know kind of what your process is of making the dough and the batches. I think that's a really interesting experience that not many people have of making so many units of hand pies. Um, So anything you can share with us about that, I'd love to know. Yeah. So the pop-ups have been really fun. I mean, it's, it's probably the most gratifying experience as a baker because, you know, most times I think you don't, unless you're bringing, you know, a cake to a party or like your baked goods to a gathering, you know, you can see people eat what you're making. And that's, that's one of the most fun things about sharing what you love about baking. And pop-ups is just like that on like a crazy level because you're just feeding like so many different people and you instant instantaneously get to see their reactions and it's super fun in that way. So making all of it is, is just, I mean, you just have to be super organized and it reminds me of being in the tent um, because, you know, everything needs to be uh, planned out where I like to start with making all of my dough and then I'll freeze all of it. So I just make batch after batch of dough and, you know, I'm not working with a huge sheeter like what most bakeries have um, where you can actually just, you know, incorporate your dough and then use a sheeter to like roll it all out. Instead, I'm doing everything by hand. And so it's really, really um, physical but it's a lot of fun. Like you're really putting like your body into what you're making. And so I will start by making all of my dough. I'll freeze that. And then um, once I've planned out my menu, then I'll start thinking through uh, the different fillings that I'm making. And then usually with that, I'll like to make my filling, you know, a few hours, if not the days before I actually assemble. So you're just breaking everything down into sections. And then the great things about, hand pies is that you can freeze it all and I bake off from frozen. So it makes it really easy on the mornings of the pop-ups because I'll have all my pies ready. And then it's really just about washing them with egg wash and then popping them in the oven and then you're done. And I'm lucky that my sous chef is my husband. So (laughs) I'll also make him wake up at like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning with me, and then we'll bake everything off. And then 
you know, start selling. That's so interesting that you freeze them. So just to make sure I totally understand, you make the filling, you make the the dough, the dough, do you roll it to its thickness before you freeze it? Yeah. So I'll, I mean, to save time, what I'll do is I'll, um, you know, I'll do mix my dough and then, you know, you chill it slightly just to make sure your butters aren't melting. And then from there, I'll roll out all my dough. I'll cut them out into little rounds and then I'll freeze the rounds. Ah, so then okay. ultimately, yeah. So when I ultimately have my fillings ready to go and they've been cooled at, down properly, then I'm really only waiting like a few minutes at the most for the rounds to slightly defrost so that I can roll them out and then fill it and then freeze them again. So smart. And it makes me want to do this at home too, because I always like, whenever I do this kind of thing, I make it and I bake it and one, it doesn't hold its shape as well. And then also, you know, it's that one time that you enjoy it. I'm going, why don't I make a giant batch of this stuff and then, you know, freeze it. And then even with savory and then have quick meals on hand. That's so smart. Yeah, totally. So brilliant. Well, can you talk us, walk us through your favorite pie dough recipe? Yeah. So, um, this past year I started working with whole grains and yeah, so I have my, I mean, my favorite pie recipe right now. I mean, it's super simple because that's what I love about pie is like the crust itself is really only like four ingredients. If I mean, at the minimum and from there you just add, but you don't really need much more other than flour, salt, water, and a little bit of sugar. So mm-hmm. that's really just all that I have. But the difference in my dough is that I incorporate about 60% of whole grain wheat Um And so, and it's not just like any, um, sort of whole grain wheat. It's, it's one that's local to, um, Southern California. And I've been really fortunate enough to get to know some folks, uh, and one specific gal, her name is Sherry, but she's considered the fairy grain mother in Los Angeles. Oh, <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. And, um, and she works with uh, Tehachapi Grain Project. And so with them, they're basically trying to um, help bring uh, whole grains back into the local food economy in Los Angeles. And so they grow their own grains and um and I love using their grains. So with mine I have a whole wheat sonora grain that um that I mix with just standard all purpose flour and then um and then I'll add in my butter, I'll add in my wa- my ice water and um a little bit of salt, a little bit of sugar and that's it. So how do you feel like the uh whole grain affects the texture of your dough? So depending on how much whole grain you're adding in, it could almost, uh, it could really change it drastically. Um, Mm -hmm. I've tried 100% whole grain pie crusts and those are almost, I mean, there's so much flavor in the crust, which is incredible. Like if you haven't tried baking with it, it's it's really a lot of fun to test it out. And um, and it almost tastes like a cornmeal and... Yeah, it's really, really nice, especially with like a savory pie and a drier kind of filling. So once I did like a butternut squash uh, goat cheese with a whole grain pastry 
And that was so good. It was just like a meal in itself. You're talking dirty Um, stuff. That sounds so good. (laughs) Yeah. And then, uh, so I just liked, I've played around with the ratios and I've found, at least with the crust that that I make, 60% is a really good mix of adding some flavor and some depth in your crust. Like it's crazy once you bake with whole grain and you try it, it's all of a sudden pie crust isn't just a vehicle and texture it's actually oh. flavor so i wow. i love it i feel like this is coming up a lot with us jeremiah don't you because from our gluten-free episode yes. we were talking about how sometimes like getting away from just always having all purpose as your go-to sometimes you think oh like especially if you get a diagnosis where you have to go gluten-free like you think maybe this is a negative thing and then all of a sudden you discover all these great flavors that you were shortchanging yourself on before. And I think it's the same with the whole grain, not that it's gluten-free, but just that playing around with that can add a whole new element that maybe you just ignored before. Yeah. I, I think, you know, gluten, although I, I love gluten-free bakes as well when they're done right. Um, I, feel like, you know, gluten still gets a bad rap sometimes and and whole grain is actually really healthy for you because it's using the entire grain, not just the um not just the unhealthy parts of the wheat berry. And so it's I think it's a really great thing to incorporate to your repertoire if you're brave enough and if you can find the ingredients. I mean most luckily I think Bob's uh, Red Mill and even King Arthur Flowers starting to make more whole grain products and uh, having them in stock at local supermarkets. But, you know, it's slowly but surely getting there. I also want to ask you, sorry, I'm, I just, this is the nerd in me, but give us your tips on technique and handling your pie ingredients. Since there's only a few ingredients, I think the importance the important thing is to know how to work with them in a way that you won't have shrinkage, that you'll have an easy time rolling it out. Can you give us tips on that? Because you are totally an expert in this area. <laughs> you guys you guys are just as much experts as I am. <laughs> I've just maybe just had a little more practice. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I definitely like to work with pie dough because it's, I mean, it's just so, um, therapeutic because you use so much of your hands and your arms when you're making it, but it's also important to remember like to use your senses. So I'm always very, very, uh, cautious and attentive when it comes to temperature of my dough. And, and I think the biggest part about that is just making sure everything is cold. Like the great thing about whole grain flour is I keep that in my freezer. And so whenever I add it to my mix, it's already super cold. And so making sure your flour is cold, all of your ingredients, your butter is ice cold, your water is ice cold, and the surface you're working on. I mean, that's that to me really makes the difference in terms of um, the quality product that you get. And, and if it's too hot in your kitchen, then it just means you need to take your time and properly chill at every single stage rather than rush through things. So for me, it's all about temperature and, um, and that really does make the difference. What about, are you a food processor or by hand? I, yeah, I am a by hand. Love it. All by hand. I mean, I, uh, I've done, um, 
big batches with a f- like uh, some stages with a food processor. Um, but in the end, I just I think I rather spend the extra couple minutes working with the dough with my hand. I feel like you develop less gluten or just the right amount when you're doing it by hand. I feel like you really run the danger of overworking a dough. And then that's when it shrinks and does all that weird stuff is when you overwork it. Do you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. I agree. And I love doing it by hand for that exact reason. And then also I like to kind of target those clumps of butter that are a little bit big. And I feel like in a food processor, it's just, you know, not discriminating. It's the blades going around, just chopping everything. And I feel like by hand, you can kind of look and you're like, it's looking really good except for that chunk. And then you smash it, you know, with your pastry cutter. And I don't know, I feel like you can kind of tailor it exactly. You never take it too far if you're doing it by hand. Yeah. And I'm curious about your fillings because we've had some questions from listeners about how do you keep your fillings from being too watery or so how do you choose the, the fruit and how, what sort of techniques do you use to ensure that your ham pies aren't too juicy? Hmm. That's a really great question. So, uh, when it comes to fruit fillings, I will typically, well, actually I always, um, cook my fillings first. So I'll usually put them, you know, on the stove and reduce the juices within them and then I'll strain. Um, I also will call upon help from some cornstarch every now and then, depending on the the fruit. Um, And that really just makes sure that, you know, I get a really thick, nice filling, especially when I'm doing a hand pie. I think when you're making, you know, larger pans um, and a whole pie, then you don't have to worry about the juices spilling out so much because it's all contained. Mm -hmm. But with a hand pie, it's, it's, it's pretty important to have like a really thick, nice inside. Um, and then when it's stuff like, um, I've, I've recently made like, a um, a bourbon pecan pot hand pie. And with that, you know, typically it's more custardy. Like when you pour that into a whole pie, like a, a pecan pie, but instead I baked it off on a sheet tray, um, in the oven first, and then I let it thicken. And then from there I pull it out early and then and then it, it'll harden up as it comes to room temperature. And then it becomes a consistency that you can scoop it and then put it into a hand pie. So there's different methods that, that I'll try depending on what the, um, the filling is. My mind was just blown. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of that technique before. And you're so right. Like a normal pecan pie, it's just pure. It's like the consistency of maple syrup. And there's no way you could put that in a hand pie. That's a super smart idea. I love it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Steph, but isn't that similar to how soup dumplings are made? That it's sort of it like used a lot of gelatin so that you can actually put that in the dumpling. And then when it's heated, it gets... It gets um, liquid again. Yes, yes. I've never made soup dumplings, but I have seen them made, and it is. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what they do. That's totally what came to mind when I was imagining this. <laughs> yeah, that was. That's really interesting. So I want to make sure that we get in some conversation about your time working at the bakery too. Um, just because I'm really curious, as a home baker, I feel like you approach things a certain way, and then the, then there's a whole different set of ways that people who are professionals working in a different type of kitchen with different types of equipment that approach things. But 
specifically, what things have you learned that you think could be really useful to home bakers? So when I started working at the bakery, it was about eight months ago. Um, so it's it's at a bakery called Huckleberry Cafe, and it's located in Santa Monica. And um, basically, it started out as I met the owner of the bakery, and I was telling her about kind of what I'm trying out and what I want to do. And she said, you need to work in a kitchen if you haven't before, and you need to see if you like it. <laughs> and this was when I was questioning, you know, am I going to open a brick and mortar? And so it's... I think I, it was one of the best decisions and, um, and I still love every single day that I'm there and it's really intense. I mean, I working in a kitchen is the most humbling experience that you can have, I think. And it's also a great opportunity to really learn how, a proper business is run and because how you bake things at home is obviously in much smaller batches. You're not under the time pressure of, um, of, you know, you have doors opening at 8am. So everything needs to be done. And, and you aren't, you know, you have, if you don't have your consistent moments at home, you can throw away a sheet tray full of whatever you made if you hate it. And at a bakery, you're pretty limited because People are there and people are hungry and you still need to turn out um, what you've made. And so I think it's been a really great learning experience, especially when it comes to how long you can, uh, how long the shelf life is on the different things that you make and how early in advance you can make it. So for me, it's made me actually a more efficient baker because I can better plan out uh, my days and when I know I have certain orders coming up. Okay. So like so interesting. what type of things like um, just specifically, like are there certain things that now you make in advance that maybe you wouldn't have before, or is it the other way around where maybe before you would make it in advance and now you're like, Ooh, I really have to do this in the moment. Yeah. Like um, something as simple as like making eclairs or cream puffs um, making your pat like you can make that weeks. I mean, not weeks. Well, no, actually, yeah. Kind of like at least a week in advance if you want and just freeze your dough. And then ultimately you can just have your pastry cream on hand or your fillings on hand and just, um, pop them in the oven for a few minutes and then fill them. And, you know, your dessert is actually like already made. So there's stuff like that. There's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of like you can make your biscuits and you scoop all your cookie doughs, everything in advance. And then ultimately you're just pulling those in the freezer basically, you know, an, an hour at most before you're going to bake it or some things you're baking from frozen. So it's it's um, it's really helpful when you don't want to have to do a lot of prep before you actually end up with your final result. You can just spread out your prep over, you know, a week and, um, and then just bake things off. So you're super efficient with your time. Are there things that you've made in the bakery that you're like, wow, this, I'm so happy I'm getting to do this because this isn't something I would have made at home or ever have tried on my own. So some of the stuff that I've made there, I mean, I feel like I, for the most part, I've made kind of everything I've tried at home, but it's just mm -hmm. in a different way because when we're making pastry cream, we're making nine quarts of pastry cream. When I'm scooping 
And in the past when I've made the cookie dough, I'm scooping like 150 cookies. <laughs> so, wow. so it's, it's, it's interesting because I think I feel like I'm getting better at understanding, you know, the consistencies of things. Um, and, and also like, you don't always have to be that precious in terms of like how you mix your certain things when you have to make, you know, when you're doing a layer cake and you're making 12 layers that are ultimately going to be frozen um, because we have catering orders lined up, you know, next week, then in that case, it's like, you don't, you could just actually, there's obviously the process of like creaming your butter and adding in your eggs, but like your dries, you could just add in all your dries at the same time when it's going in a huge Hobart machine. So there's, you know, there's just little things that I also feel like I picked up. I'm like, oh, you don't have to be that precise when it comes to certain aspects of baking. And so sometimes I carry that into my own baking. Like it's, it's okay to not have every single thing like mixed in like all your dries because it's all going to mix you know, ultimately when it's in your mixer, if that makes sense. Got you. So like, for instance, when you put all your dry ingredients in a bowl, you're not worrying about whisking those before you put them into the, the mixer. Yeah. Cause it's all going to come together. But that makes sense. And I think it's kind of interesting because I would have thought the opposite would be like, you know, you work with professionals and then it's even more intense and mysterious as far as like, you know, this precision element that everyone seems to love to highlight with baking. And I think sadly keeps people away. So I like that it's kind of the other way where, of course, there's rules you have to follow. But then beyond that, you know, like that word you said, it's not as precious maybe as we think. And hopefully that makes people feel like it's a little bit more approachable versus like feeling like, well, I'm just not that precise kind of person. So it's not for me. And Sounds like it could be for anybody in that way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's the good thing is, I think once you really understand what you're looking for, and if you just try it, and you could start with something simple. I feel like, Amanda, I've heard you say this before, but even when there's moments, I mean, we all have our bad days where all of a sudden it just feels like we can't bake anymore like something happened and you just have like a terrible bake and then you just go back to like the basics right like you start with a cookie and you or you start with a cake or something that is just not as um intimidating and you get you know you can gain your confidence with pretty much anything and there's always somewhere to start with with baking which is what I love so true you have a lot of gorgeous recipes on your blog if you, and this, I know this is kind of hard. This is like picking your favorite child, but is there a recipe on your blog that you would love for people to try? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, let's see. So I feel like a really fun, I mean, I really love the pie recipe that I have on there. I think it's like a black, uh, blackberry lavender pie. Yes. Um, that one was a lot of fun. And it's always fun to just like cut the, like pies into different shapes. Um, and, but if you're willing to try a bread recipe, I think I have my, it's the same one from the show, but it was my savory dinner roll. And it's like a green onion uh, dinner roll and green onion scallion dinner roll. And it's, that's, probably one of my favorite 
recipes to still make um, for like dinners and for family gatherings. So I really love that one. If you're willing to kind of put some elbow grease into making a bread. (laughs) (laughs) And then how did you, I've always wanted to ask you, how did you decide to focus on ham pies versus a pie that was maybe in a tartlet Mm. shape or what inspired you? So I, when I decided to do the pop-ups, I always wanted to pick something that I felt like I could see myself maybe one day opening a cafe or focusing on for like my own store. And I love just the idea of using like something like a hand pie is just something that you can eat with your hands and it's very um, tactile. It's like you could fill it with sweet or savory and there's just like so many things you can do with it. So actually the the inspiration was um, through, you know, thinking about if I were to stick to one thing that I would want to make, then it might be a, like a pie kind of cafe, or it would be a pavlova dessert shop. So Amanda, I know, yeah, Amanda, I know you kind of mentioned before, like those two things are like really different and they are. um, And it's kind of nice because then I'll use my egg yolks for my egg wash and I'll use the egg whites for the pavlovas. So I get at least some, um, I, I get to reduce some food waste there when I'm doing the two together. Uh, but yeah, for me, it was always like, okay, I'm going to try these two completely different things. And although the pop-ups are, you know, they're very different. And one thing gives you something where people will eat in the morning. One thing will give you something that people will eat in the afternoon. Um, but it helps me figure out like, if I want to eventually open a shop, like, do I like making these things? And that's what I ultimately use to, to come up with my menu. I love the combination of the two. I think it's really a great combination, actually, even though they are like kind of two very different genres of baking. That's what I love about it because they're both easy to make in an individual size. And then I think it's fun that the textures are so different. So if you have a craving and you walk into Steph's pop-ups, like you're going to find something that that's going to scratch your itch, I feel like. So I love the combo. I think it's really fun. Are pavlovas popular in LA? So pavlovas are, they're kind of popping up um, at a few different restaurants and um, I see them here and there. And, but they, they definitely haven't reached their, their critical mass. I mean, it's pavlovas are an Australian dessert. I even had, I remember at one point um, in my pop-up because people just don't know what it is. And so for a little, like, especially in the mornings, I mean, no one's going to want to order like a, like a a sweet meringue with whipped cream on top of it. So, um, so even towards the afternoon, like I would have to stand there and explain to people what it was. And then they learn, Oh, it's gluten-free. And Oh my God, it's actually this like really amazing dessert that tastes like you're eating clouds or, you know, like just like it makes you feel lighter after you're done eating it. And once you explain that to people, then they, and they eat it. And usually when they see it, they, they really want it. So it was, it was challenging because there's a lot of education involved in it um, because people just don't really understand or know what it is, but it's also one of those, like, you guys don't know what you're missing then. 
<laughs> I'm so happy you're championing champ champ. I can't even say it. <laughs> I'm happy you're promoting them because I love them. And for those people who haven't made them yet or are just starting to, what are your meringue best practices? So I think my my number one thing that I think of is uh, just make sure your ovens are the right temperature. So I feel like the making a pavlova and working with meringues in your ovens, like you really can't have a high heat. So if your oven runs hot, make sure you have an oven thermometer and like know the temperature of your oven before you throw your meringues into it because that the fact that like you can't open your door once you close it <laughs> is a scary thought, especially since bakers, you know, we want to like touch what's in there. We want to see if it's done, if it's firm enough, it's springy. And with meringues, you can't do that. So um, I think it's really important to, you know, know what temperature you're cooking at and, and then to just have faith that it's doing what it's supposed to be doing in there. And that, that sometimes is the really hardest part about baking off uh, meringues and pavlovas for me. And pavlovas should have that sort of marshmallowy inside. How do you ensure that, especially when you're doing large quantities, how do you make sure that all of your pav shells have that quality? Yeah, I, um, so I have, I mean, two different recipes, but ultimately the recipes that, that you use, it should incorporate vinegar and uh, sometimes cornstarch. So with that, that, adjust I mean I I don't I should know more of the scientific route of it but Jeremiah I feel like that's your that's your like forte (laughs) (laughs) but um but it's it does do something to the egg whites where ultimately when you're baking off at a super low temperature it creates that kind of middle uh fluffy inside and and not to overbake them is something to also keep in mind absolutely (laughs) Well, kind of off the topic of the pop-ups, I wanted to ask you from kind of from your blog recipes and just when you're going into the kitchen just to bake for yourself, where do you find your inspirations? Because I feel like from eating your food on the show, all of your flavors are so creative and very delicious. Um, And I was just curious, like how you get inspired when you're going to make a new recipe. Yeah. Um, Thanks. I feel like everyone was, it's really cool. Like being, I remember eating everyone's stuff in the tent and everyone came from like such different backgrounds. Like everyone had such great flavor palettes. And, and I think for me, it's my inspiration comes from honestly, just what I'm craving. It's, it's really strange. And I guess a result of what I'm craving is just the food that I've grown up eating. Um, living in LA where it's just such a melting pot of different flavors and different cultures. And so, um, so for me, really it's a lot of my baking is, is me all of a sudden having a weird craving for, I don't know. I mean, it could be as simple as chocolate or as extreme as like black sesame or red bean or something that comes from more of my childhood. And, um, and then I, one, some of the things I've done in the past is just like, I'll get a specific craving for like lemon, but then I'll walk around my kitchen or look at my spice rack and then I'll like grab a lemon and then I'll grab a different spice and then I'll just smell the two together. And usually in the past, that's how I come up with like even different pie fillings is just 
looking at my pantry and then choosing two things and then seeing if they go together. And if they don't, I put it down and I'll go grab something else. <laughs> I love the idea. The smell test. Yeah, I can totally yeah. envision you doing this too. And I think that's <laughs> such a great technique to use the smell because why make the whole batch and then find out, wow, this sucks. But like, if you can just sniff it really fast, that's a great, like quick test. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> the smell test. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> kind of um, another wacky question, but one that I love to find out from people. Um, is there anybody that if you could just bake for anybody in the world that you would love to bake something for? Oh my gosh. Can I, I really want to bake for Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> you get a pie. <laughs> I know. Everyone gets a pie. Um, oh man. I, yeah, I, I, she just, she's super top of mind. I mean, I'm sure she's top of mind for everyone, but, um, but she's like the first person that popped in when, uh, when you asked that question. And yeah, I would love to feed Oprah. I mean, what would you make just, for and, Oprah? Like, what would you make for her? Oh my gosh. See, then that turns into like a reality and like so much pressure. <laughs> thinking <about it. laughs> um, I'd probably make Oprah a pie because she just seems like oh. someone who, you know, would appreciate the love that goes into making pie and, and just, and doesn't she seem like she would just want to eat like a really good pie? <laughs> um yeah, I would love to make just like a really nice like apple spice pie for her because it's like super classic and like homey feeling and something that like just nourishes her. Um, and I'll throw some whole grain in it too. <laughs> and she has an expressive face. I could just, I love baking for people like that where you know you're going to see their reactions on their face. And other people you have to wait for them to verbally give it to you. But I could, I could tell you could see the joy in her eyes as she'd be eating your your pie. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, I love that thought. <laughs> this has been so fun, but tell us what's next for you or is there any part of your your culinary adventures that are sort of winning the race that you're like, I think I'm going to head more in this direction or are you going to keep kind of putting your foot in all these different areas? Yeah, I... So for me, what's next is um, really wanting to focus a little more on catering. And I think, um, you know, doing pop-ups will hopefully be still a part of that. Um, because I think pop-ups are really great for figuring out like a menu and then testing out, you know, different products and seeing what, uh, flavors people gravitate towards. Um, so I, I hopefully will have that as still an element of the things that I do this year, but I really want to just, find a way to feed more people um, and on a larger scale. So I did a couple weddings last year and that was actually really fun. So I really want to figure out a way to like develop a proper catering menu and, um, and desserts. And I think, you know, cakes will still be kind of part of that um, because I also do some custom cakes and working with gum paste and stuff like that. But, um, the custom cake route, which um, I, again, I know Amanda can, can speak to, but there's just, uh, they're so time consuming or at least the ones that I work on because 
there's like, they're so specific, like people want very specific themes for the cakes that I do. And I think I might, um, they're just very time consuming. So I want to feed more people (laughs) on a Mm -hmm. larger scale. So I think uh, focusing on catering and then I'm going to see where the teaching route goes. And, and if I like that, then I'll probably do more of that. But yeah, I think for me, it's just focusing on developing a proper menu and getting that up and, um, and feeding as many people as I can. That's so inspiring. And we're going to have all of your links in our show notes so everyone can follow and if they're in your area, they can come take a class from you. And they're all, everyone needs to try your recipe for your pies. Thanks, guys. Oh, this has been so much fun. Can we do this, like, all the time? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We're definitely going to have to check back in with you and see how things are going. Yeah, such a blast. Thank you so much for joining us and taking the time. And, yeah, I'm totally up for podcasting our whole lives. We'll just log on and and, (laughs) and live it out. (laughs) I know. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. Our pleasure. Bye. Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it. And happy National Pie Day on January 23rd.